night gathers, and now my rewatch begins. Welcome back to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, the number one Game of Thrones podcast in the realm for people who party like Tyrion and slay like Daenerys, brought to you by Grand X Media. I am your host, Ross Bolin, at the Grand X Media studio in Austin, Texas, with my co-host, Barrett Dudley. Hi, hello, hey. Uh, just right off the bat, let me just let me just get this out of the way, because oh, wow. I, know, I know that this is what everybody wants to know about. Okay. The t-shirt. Uh, the t-shirt that was promised? The t-shirt that was promised. Um, if you were following me on Twitter, I was dropping some uh, some media bombs on a Friday afternoon, which everybody knows is when you just dump the stuff that that you know that nobody sees. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Now, I mean, you know, I wanted the people to see this because it was a mock of the shirt, so I so I did it. Um, the art is finished. I sent it to Madison, the CEO of the entire company, because he is the one that uploads every single thing that goes on grandexshop.com. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I sent it to him 3 p.m. Friday. Still haven't heard back from him. So if you want to go onto Twitter and holler at the our CEO and be like, hey, yo, give us our shirt, you can find him on Twitter at Madison Wickham, W-I-C-K-H-A-M. So just at him. And be like, hey, put that shirt up up there for us. Wow, really passing the blame here. I that's I respect it. Uh, it's an interesting move. I have I have done my part. I completed the art. I okay. F- I finished it. I put the mocks together. I picked the colors. It's boom, boom. It's ready to go. Hopefully today. Hopefully today. Okay. The shirt that was promised. The shirt is for the night's rewatch. This is the night's rewatch. We're doing a podcast for every episode of Game of Thrones, starting with season one, episode one, leading up to the final season of our favorite show, so we can all be as prepared as possible. We highly advise you to take the black and join us. Um, As a member of the night's rewatch, as a brother or sister in the night's rewatch, right now on rowdygentlemen.com, which is the website for our in-house clothing brand here at Grand X that we created, we source all the products. We design all the shit. We This is our clothing brand. We're having a Dog Days of Summer sale where you get 30% off site-wide using the code HOT at checkout. Feeling hot, hot, hot. Who, who came up with this code <laughs> HOT? I don't know. I, is it funny? A we're, little. We're paying people in the marketing department a lot of money to come up with codes like that. So. Hot. Yeah, yeah, so we got great Hawaiian shirts, great t-shirts, hats, swim trunks, Everything you need for vacation and to have a long, productive summer of looking fly at the pool or the beach or the lake or the other body of water. Just wherever you, wherever you want to be looking like a snack. Exactly. Also, if you just happen to be listening, perhaps the dog days of summer sale is already over and you were several months behind on this podcast. <laughs> Here's an idea. Try Sumai at checkout on rowdygentleman.com. You can invoke Sumai to get 10% off your entire order if perhaps that sale has already expired. 
You invoke Sumai, S-U-M-A-I. Type that in at checkout, all right? Huge. In news, we've got some news this week. One of the things I wanted to discuss was a shirt that was promised. We've already done that. So only one thing left to... One thing remains. Kit Harrington and Rose Leslie were finally wed on Saturday in Scotland. So congratulations to Jon Snow and Egret. Pretty cool that they got married in real life, in all yeah, seriousness. Yeah, big, up, big ups to them. A lot of the cast members were there. Pictures have been fairly limited so far uh, from what I was able to, uh, you know, pull together on, on the Google machine. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. as more come out, I'm sure we'll post more on social media. We have put some up already. It looked beautiful. Um, anyway, congratulations to the uh, newlyweds. He, w- he was looking swagtastic. Very interesting fashion choices yeah, yeah. by not only the bride and groom. Very British, I guess. V- very Scottish, Scottish, I think. Scottish, okay. Well, it's not wearing a European. Kilt, We're not American is the point. This is not an American-looking wedding. Right, uh, right, Because these are not Americans. And, I mean, but even for, you know, Peter Dinklage, one of the Americans there, one of the few Americans there, he he, he just looked... There were, it was odd fashion. Was That's Peter Dinklage a, uh, a groomsman? I don't believe he was. He seems like he'd be a good groomsman. You know, I don't even know if there were groomsmen. There in might this. not. I don't have know been. if, if they been. do that. Uh, what's the guy who played Rob Stark? Yeah, yeah. Full kilt. Okay. okay. Yeah, like hardcore, all out. That's uh, nice. That's no, cool. No joke. And um, Macy and uh, what's Sophie? her name? Sophie. Sophie Turner? Turner dressed like she was going to a club. <laughs> it was that was fascinating. Anyway, point being, lots of interesting fashion choices fashion choices we will show you more of them on our social media accounts follow us on instagram at oysters clams cockles and on twitter at clams and cockles in uh, in other game of thrones news i believe that i saw amelia clark post on instagram kind of a goodbye and a farewell which means that rap she's a rap at least she is anyway mm-hmm it's an I, interesting and time. I would, and I would assume that means that the show is pretty much wrapped as well. I believe it is. Close. Getting there, maybe. Who knows? We don't know. Nobody fucking knows. Yeah. Anyway, uh, our hotline number. It's 866-43-CLAMS. You can call anytime. It's a voicemail. If you mess up your call, just hang up and call back. Call with questions, takes, clam fam corrections, whatever you want. 866-43-CLAMS. we got four calls this week to play very quickly before we dive into season five. Here's the first one. Hi, this is Erin from Iowa. I just have an interesting note about the manticore venom that is affecting the mountain. Um, This is actually not the first time we've seen or heard about a manticore when Danny is in Karth and she uh, gets attacked by the little girl with a pokeball. A manticore is actually what comes out of the pokeball that Sir Barristan kills. So just an interesting note. Wanted to point that out. Thanks. Little known fact about manticore that our caller shared with us, it's always stored in pokeballs. (laughs) <laughs> that's where the manticore is held in the pokeball uh, okay inter- uh, that i that's an all interesting tidbits all around yes great call next one yo what's up guys it's riley from tampa um i'm pretty sure that cave where melisandra gave birth to the demon baby is storm's end um not because yeah renly is the lord of storms End, and also it's the same spot that davos um, sailed to in order to um, get food to Stannis's men when he uh, was trying to hold down the fort. All right, thanks. Okay, yeah. So more more argument for that being Storm's End. We were talking about that cave, how apparently 
one of our listeners was doing the whole Game of Thrones tour mm-hmm. where they filmed at all these different locations and they weren't allowed to go to that one because it was still being utilized for season eight. Correct. Just yes. interesting tidbit. Also, I find it funny that we refer to it as a demon baby. Tyrion calls himself that at one point. <laughs> the demon baby. Yeah. It, well, it, yeah. It's a baby in the fact that it comes from her womb, so to speak. Her vaginal yes. tunnel. But it is absolutely not a baby in shape or form. Oh, it's a man. It's a man, baby. That's a man, baby. Yeah, it's Stannis. <laughs> Stannis' face. All right, wait, all right. Next call. <laughs> Yo, what's good? It's Mike from New Jersey. Just listened to the most recent episode. And I have a couple thoughts. One thing that just straight up confused me is when Stannis rides in with all his dudes, like to fuck up all the wildlings. They come in from two open fields into the forest at, like, at completely opposite angles. But the forest just keeps going back and back and back, and the only open space is between the wall and the forest. So just, like, geometrically, I have no fucking idea how that worked. And then the second thing is, when Man said his people have bled enough, quote-unquote, I'm pretty sure he means, like, the White, Walk, the, the White Walkers have just been, like, fucking them up ever since they've started marching towards the wall. I don't think he was like necessarily thinking just about the uh, just about the battle with like the 50 dudes. But yeah, love the pod. Keep keep going, guys. Okay, to first address his first point, the how what the angle that Stannis and his force comes in from. Mm-hmm. It is confusing. Where they they where they flank. Yeah, cuz we don't see an area for that to be possible right. on screen and then suddenly it happens. I, it, I'm with him. It's something that just, I guess they couldn't figure a way to make it look more uh, acceptable. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't have a. I don't have anything to add. I'm. I'm confused. I'm still kind of confused as how they got up there north of the wall so easily. Intern Luke has thoughts. Uh, this is just very interesting because they, showrunners just seem to keep making the forest bigger or smaller based, based on, on how what they, they need. want to. Because this makes it a very good point where it seems like the forest is very small, or at least at this point. And even in this episode, too, I don't know if y'all noticed, but when we see Stannis and Davos standing at the top of the wall, the forest line seems to be pushed back more than yeah. it was before. Yeah. Like, mm. It doesn't look like archers could have reached that when nah, they were they've, defending the they've wall. They've had some issues so. with this forest area in multiple points. And uh, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe the biggest fire in the north the north has ever seen burned part of it down or something like uh, that. You never good, know. Good it's point. Possible. Yeah. It's possible. The other thing he addressed is um, we were talking about how Mance keeps saying his people have bled enough, and we were like, well, they didn't bleed all that much. Uh, yeah, he probably just means the all-encompassing battle of being up north, getting rocked by the White Walkers, trying to make it south, getting killed by the Night's Watch, everything that's gone on. You know what I mean? Yep, sure. Total sure. package. One more call. Here it is. Hey, what's going on, family? It's uh, Dan from Chicago. Uh, you guys have mentioned a lot how uh, Mans had this 100,000-man army and everything. That's just his people. Like, those are just the wildlings. So, and I can't remember who mentions it. I think it's it might be John when he when he gets back to Castle Black. But at some point, somebody mentions that it's not all – it's not fighters. It's all – families, mothers, um, children, a lot of it's old people, a lot of it's sick people, you know, so obviously, you know, wildlings, the women, men are obviously are going to be like big time fighters and everything, but a lot of them are, you know, 
children and old people, old sick people. So it's not, you know, obviously they do have numbers, but it's not as exaggerated as it's, it's uh, led to be. I uh, love the pod and keep it up. See ya. So we were talking about how basically it's like, man, Mance really surrendered quickly there considering how big his force is. Uh-huh. It, not all of them are soldiers. The ones that okay. are fighters are very sure. not well-trained. He makes a good point. Yeah. Different way to look at it. That was the hotline calls. 866-43-CLAMS. Again, is our number. Now let's get into it. Season 5. New season. Episode 1 of Season 5. The Wars to Come. Written by Benioff and Weiss and directed by Michael Slovis. Exciting stuff. Brand new season. Um. Yeah. Uh. Okay. So, you know on HBO how... You know what HBO is the king of? Is hyping you up for new stuff. Correct. And also putting together little collections of like current and old stuff and these little like hype hype train videos. Yeah. It, they're really, really, really phenomenal phenomenal at this. There's like 18 movies that I want to watch on HBO right now just because they package them all together in this way. And I'm like, oh my God, those all look so good. Right. Uh, this new series that's coming out with Amy Adams called Sharp Objects. Right. Like, looks super intense and good. Anyways, I, I'm just like, I can hardly wait until we get the first Game of Thrones teaser. And it is... For season eight? Yeah. With Westworld, I'm, I'm thinking about this because the recap of season four, right before this episode, is like, just really wraps it up how awesome season four was. Because yes. so much unbelievable shit happened. But it also just got me thinking about like, Westworld is over. They've got sharp objects coming and succession going on but i mean you know the, the the we're all just waiting for game of thrones now so you it feels like it's game of thrones season is what it feels like yeah so it feels even like, though it's still far off it feels like we should at least get some type of teaser here pretty soon right it feels like you know i, I mean game of thrones season szn yeah yeah it feels yeah, like yeah. we've entered that right yeah, and so. I'm with you. There's like some level of excitement to that. If if you watch Westworld, by the way, and you need some clarity, or you want some clarity on the whole season or the season finale, our Westworld podcast, hosted by myself and Jared Borislow, is titled "Freeze All Motor Functions." You can subscribe to it on iTunes. We do very similar breakdowns to what we do here on OCC. Obviously, Westworld is a very different show. Um, go give that a subscription and a listen. Never it's- needed a whiteboard explanation so much in my entire life. I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's, it was a lot to uh, try to unpack and to try to. It made me, it made me feel even more blessed for what you and I have here, Barrett, which is like by comparison, just straight up enjoyable. Whereas Westworld was a living hell. That is not to say I don't love Westworld. No, it's, it's just, just it's a totally different. Quite ball a bit game. to process there. Yeah, it's very yeah. cerebral. I just want to see people's tits and see people's heads get chopped off. So let's get into it. Season five. Let's do it. We start in the woods. Somewhere, some woods, with two young girls, probably teenage girls by the looks of it. There's a brunette and a blonde. They're walking through the woods holding hands. They come to a small hut. The brunette's like, we shouldn't go in. And the blonde's like, of course we should. Into the hut they go. They find a woman sleeping. And the brunette gets startled by like a mouse or a rat or some shit in a cage. And it wakes this woman. And she immediately says, get out. Get out. The blonde girl addresses the woman. They said you were terrifying with cat's teeth and three eyes. You're not terrifying. You're boring. We find out this woman is a witch, can allegedly see the future. And the young blonde girl, we don't know who these chicks are, these children, the young blonde demands to know her future. To which the witch replies, everyone wants to know their future till they know their future. 
very deep, this witch. The blonde girl says, this is her father's land. First indicator here for you. And if the witch doesn't tell her her future, she'll have to. Uh, she'll have her two boring eyes gouged out of her head. So the witch picks up a knife. She needs a taste of the blonde girl's blood. The blonde girl cuts her thumb. The witch sucks her bleeding thumb. It's very weird. The witch says, three questions you get. You won't like the answers. The girl says, I've been promised to a prince. When will we marry? And the witch says, you will never wed the prince. You will wed the king. The girl says, but I will be queen. The witch says, oh yes, you'll be queen for a time. Then comes another, younger, more beautiful, to cast you down and take all you hold dear. Is the witch referring to Daenerys here? Is that Daenerys? No, I think it's, I think she's referring to Marjorie. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I'm also, what I was also curious about here is, is trying to put together, who was Cersei promised to? Which prince? Did I forget know? how this played out, but it was not Robert Tar. Or it was Robert- Rhaegar. Yeah, Rhaegar. So it was not Robert Baratheon initially. The way they saw the way her childhood unfolded was not as it was supposed to. Some shit okay, at the fan. Well, okay, but Rhaegar was married to Elia Martell, and then also had the uh, affair and married Lyanna Stark. And Cersei was promised to him. Yeah, this is supposed to be before Rhaegar is married. I think uh, the ages are weird, just because I don't know how like the whole book to tv show aging worked but essentially tywin wanted cersei to be married to rhaegar and uh what's his name mad king like denies that request yeah he wanted to tie their families together the mad king said no it went another way and everything unfolded as it did okay gotcha Uh, man that rhaegar sure got around huh yeah he just had had all the ladies raring to go the blonde says will the king and i have children the witch says no the king will have 20 children And you will have three. And the girl's like, that doesn't make any sense. The witch says, gold will be their crowns, gold, their shrouds. And then she lets out an evil witch cackle. By the way, the dictionary says, a shroud is a length of cloth or an enveloping garment in which a dead person is wrapped for burial, if you were wondering. Uh, Shrouds. I did not. uh, Okay, I didn't catch that. I just was like, shroud, it's like a cloak or something. Yeah. It specifically is referring to death. Yeah. Which makes sense, because I was pretty sure that this witch told her that all three kids were going to die. That's 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 what she's saying. That's how she says it. That's how she tells her. So the brunette begs the blonde to leave this little hut immediately. She says, we have to go. Cersei, she yells. So if you haven't figured it out already, this is Cersei is the blonde. This is a Cersei flashback, and if that wasn't clear enough, we'd immediately flash forward to present-day Cersei riding in a carriage. So that was a cool little way to kick off the season, right? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, haven't mm-hmm. done that before. A flashback to Cersei's childhood where she is given the prophecy that is kind of what drives her character as a whole uh, throughout the series. It, it's The reason she makes a lot of the decisions she makes is because of this fucking prophecy. The reason she hates Marjorie so much. Sure, sure. And yeah. Barrett, I would argue... That she believes Marjorie is the younger, more beautiful woman that comes to cast her down and take all she holds dear, but it's actually Danny. She just confuses the two. Okay. Which is fair. Hmm. Marjorie is a hot little number. I just, but okay, but she's basically lost everything by the time Daenerys is even going to get to her. She's still the queen of the Seven Kingdoms. Yeah, okay. That's, yeah, it's yeah. true. Um, anyway. So, present-day Cersei steps out of the carriage. She's at the Great Sept of Baelor. She walks up the steps to meet the High Septon, who is still the old dude with the facial hair that we know. Yeah, Septon Watch. Um, yes. We're deep into, into this now. We're deep into Septon Watch. Yeah, Shea Watch is officially concluded. It's over. 
She's dead. We're on to uh, Septon, Septon Watch and Sparrow Watch. Yeah. Get a new, so, get a new uh, poster, slap it on the wall. Right, yeah, okay. Put it up there. Boom. Good, thank you. Mm. <laughs> yes. So yeah, this guy has yet to be replaced by the High Sparrow. Uh, we find out what we're looking at here is the funeral for Tywin Lannister, obviously formerly the most powerful man in the Seven Kingdoms. So people travel day and night from all over Westeros to be here. This is a really big deal. It's like... If a former president of the United States dies, how it's attended by every important person in the government from every world's government. This is kind of like that, mm-hmm. right? And this this High Septon is like, hey, you know, Cersei, can we get this fucking funeral procession underway? All these people are waiting out here. She's like, fuck you, make them wait. She goes inside with her brother Jamie, who's already there mourning her father, and they have a little conversation. Jamie says, what he built... It's ours. He built it for us. He meant it for us. They're tr- they're going to try to take it away. All of it. And Cersei says, they? Jamie says, all of them out there are enemies. They're waiting in line to make sure he's really dead. And as soon as they see the stones on his eyes, they'll set to work on tearing us apart. So Jamie, it's not even so much like mourning his dad. He's like, holy shit, we got to figure out what we're doing going forward here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. Cersei goes on to point out that that Jamie is a man of action and just does whatever he feels like at the at the drop of the hat. Right. And never thinks about the consequences. And that's why he let his brother out. Here are the consequences. You let your brother out. You indirectly killed your dad. But, I, you know, I don't... Jamie didn't love... None of them really loved Tywin all that much. I wouldn't... I, I, I'm with you. I think Cersei more than Jamie yes, or Tyrion. Yes, for but sure. But really that Jamie was more... I mean, you have that 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 kind of duty to love your father. Of course, right. But Jamie didn't like but his ja- dad. But Jamie didn't like, yes. That's, and certainly Tyrion obviously didn't either. So, right, exa- yeah, but, exactly. Yeah, I mean... So that's why I think Jamie is kind of... Got a different perspective. Yeah. That makes... Yeah, for sure. Whereas Cersei is just straight up... Well, what what she's most concerned about is, is that Tyrion did this. This is she, another reason for her to hate Tyrion. Jamie is focused on what he believes to be the real enemy, which is the people outside. Cersei's still focused on Tyrion, maybe more so than ever now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she kind of has some rage for Jamie too as a result. I mean, obviously she knows he helped Tyrion escape. She says, Tyrion may be a monster, but at least he killed our father on purpose. You did it by accident. So if you got to keep in mind here, we just saw at the end of season four, Cersei and Jamie finally get back on the same page where they seem like they're very in love. Jamie's very happy. They're getting sexy. That's over. <laughs> that didn't last very long. She's shaming the fuck out of her lover brother in this in this whole scene, nonstop, yep. holding him partially responsible, at least partially responsible for the death of the man that she says loved him more than anyone in the world. That Tyr- that Tywin loved Jamie more than anyone in the world. Yeah, and that's probably true. Probably. She saw he saw Jamie as his best chance at the legacy he craved. Right. 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 We get this cool shot at the end of the scene from above Tywin's body. I think it might be the last time we ever see Tywin Lannister. Mm-hmm. And he's got the stones on his eyes. And it's the, you know, the once great and fearsome Tywin Lannister is gone. He's gone at the hands of his own son, Tyrion, for sentencing him to death and then boning his ex-girlfriend slash prostitute. <laughs> it's a very complex family mm, that we're yeah. dealing with here. And then we're gone. off the, Across the narrow sea. Next, we're in a crate. It's Tyrion's crate. It's like this very cool camera work done here to make us literally feel like we're inside the crate with him. Uh, from You can see like out one of the oxygen holes, basically, is what we, we start with. Then the crate opens and out tumbles Tyrion. And this one, I don't know why. 
This is one of my favorite little scenes that ever unfolds in Game of Thrones, but I fucking love it. Uh, Tyrion looks awful, as just as awful as you would after that ride. They did a great job making him look just as worn down and disgusting and dirty as he possibly would. Uh, he starts like cracking his back and trying to gain his footing, and Varys just says, "Apologies." <laughs> Tyrion says, I still don't see why I had to stay inside the fucking crate once we set sail. And uh, he asked Varys, do you know what it's like to stuff your shit through one of those air holes? <laughs> Varys says, no, I only know what it's like to pick up your shit and throw it overboard. <laughs> what a horrible ride they just had to get there. Tyrion notes that they are in Pintos. You know, uh, Varys is, is all concerned about getting caught, so he's being extra careful right right he's, he's exercising much caution but like taking the poop to the side would have been a red flag if i were on that shit be like hey what are you doing with all what are you doing with all that shit dude? here's what i imagined whose poop is that the scene <laughs> poop to scoop poop. no but the, the scene the the thing i it's poop again <laughs> you call the shit poop man we could do this all day we've got plenty of poop jokes here that that you should never doubt the poop loop really started something on this show anyway what I was picturing is the exact scene we get when the ship is sailing away. It's Tyrion's box. They're sitting right next to it. Mm -hmm. And that's how they remained the entire voyage. So anytime Tyrion stuffed his poop out through one of the holes, yeah. Varys had to pick it up and throw it overboard, or it looked like Varys pooped on the floor. <laughs> okay. So right. he's discreetly picking up the poop and then like flinging it over his shoulder real quick into the ocean. <laughs> it's not as if he's gathering it all in a basket and carrying it to the side. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, they're in Pintos, which Tyrion notes... And Varys says it's the home of his colleague, Illyrio Mopatis. We're at Illyrio's house. He's the dude who gave Danny the three dragon eggs. Yeah, yeah. Housed her and her brother before the Cal Drogo deal was struck. And we saw him traipsing around down in the dungeons in Westeros. With and we, in, in King's Landing, and we did not know what the hell they were talking about or what was going on. Yes, he's a Varys guy. Yeah, but... They're boys. But whatever happened, how whatever they were trying to cook up, mm -hmm. it's led them here now. I'll say this. I would like to know the story of what happened to Illyrio. It seems he should have at least been given an appearance in this episode in mm. some way, shape, or form. I don't believe we ever see him again. And uh, we were at the motherfucker's house. I don't know. Just something. I'm, I'm betting there was some other scene between Varys and Illyrio that didn't make it past the cutting room floor if I had to bet, if I was a betting man, and I am. Anyway, important. Illyrio gave Danny the three dragon eggs. That's, that's a pretty fucking big piece of the puzzle. Right. Uh, Varys says that him and Illyrio met many years ago through mutual friends, a group of people who saw Robert Baratheon for the disaster he was. Quote, we tried to do what was best for the realm by supporting a Targaryen restoration and thus began the chain of mistakes that has led us both here. Things have gotten worse, not better. Westeros needs to be saved from itself, which feels like Varys has been watching a lot of Batman. <laughs> That's just a Batman ripoff right there. Um... Tyrion's just chugging wine the whole time Varys is talking and Varys is like uh my lord could you stop chugging wine and Tyrion says I don't think I am anymore a lord uh Varys says Tyrion already drank himself across the narrow sea to which Tyrion responds in a box why stop now how was he getting booze into the crate through the poop holes I guess yeah yeah Tiny little airplane-sized bottles of booze that they're sneaking. Uh, what is this? Maybe like maybe you know maybe Wait in the at dead night, of cracks night it he open. cracks it open and tosses a bottle of wine in there or something. Okay, 
Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying, he, he apparently was getting fucked up in that box the whole time. <laughs> I would like to know how he got the booze in. Or maybe, maybe a beer Varys, bong. He just shoved yes, the funnel down. Yeah. I was, or I was going to say, maybe Varys had one of those like big, like loop de loop straws. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he just put it in the bottle of wine and then he put the straw through the, the oxygen hole. Ah, uh, well, anyway, yeah. clearly we've spent too those much were, time. Those are very popular this. in in, uh, in Westeros. Yeah, I've so. heard that before. Yeah. It's where that loop de loop straw really right. got its yeah, start. That's where they originated. Uh huh. Varys tells Tyrion the reason he wants him to stop drinking, the reason he wants him composed, he, the reason he wants him sober, is because they're talking about the future of their country here. So there's quite a bit of patriotism at the core of Varys's uh, being. Tyrion says the future is shit, just like the past. More poop talk. And then he exorcist-style projectile vomits all over the place and then immediately goes back to chugging wine after puking. The old puke and rally. Gotta love it. <laughs> uh, Tyrion's clearly not coping well with the whole murdering the woman he loves and his father in the span of 10 minutes then fleeing the country across the sea in a crate for God knows how long without coming out. He's in a dark place. He's fucked up. Mentally, physically, psychologically. Yeah. Same as mentally, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, he's not in good shape. That's the point. Over in Marine, a group of unsullied watches on as the harpy statue atop the Great Pyramid of Marine is pulled down. Pretty cool little scene here. This is very, I, yeah, I noted how cool this scene was. This thing falling is very cool. They spent some CGI budge yeah, on did. this on they this did. bad boy here, yep. and I think it paid off. I do too. I liked it. Um, it was also cool how the unsullied waiting at the bottom for it to crash were kind of in a perfect line. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then we we're introduced to one of these unsullied in like an unprecedented move. It's a guy we've never heard from before and we've never seen before. The only unsullied we've ever been familiarized with is Grey Worm. Right. So this is brand new and it's this guy who he hits up Whore's Alley. He's looking for love or some shit. He picks a prostitute. She takes his money, takes him inside, takes off his armor, goes to take off his pants and he stops her. She says, you want the same? Same as always, she asks. Then she gets topless and uh, is the big spoon for him in a spooning situation. What he wants is to cuddle. These uh, these brothels down here, they had they had, all these women just like exposing themselves in the hallway there. Oh, yeah. They, none, not too shabby. Am I right? This is the highest quality. Yeah, Marine's got the quality. Of prostitutes <laughs> we have seen in Without any gaps. Like, each one we passed was hot. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, all right, fuck it. And usually yeah. there's like a gross one scattered in to make right, it realistic. Right. Mm -hmm. Not in Marine. <laughs> they do away with the prostitutes that aren't worthy. So, uh, yeah. I mean, you I'm know. with you, Barrett. Good point. Good, okay. good. Just good had to point out. it out. Yeah. No, we're, you know, I think that's what sets us apart from other Game <laughs> of Thrones podcasts is that we're willing to talk about the, the, uh, yeah, sexualness of the, the prostitutes. <laughs> In Marine. Anyway, yeah. so she gets topless, and she spoons him. She's Big Spoon. He's Little Spoon. She's humming to him, running her fingers across his shaved head as his exposed neck is what the camera gets closer and closer to, and you kind of realize, like, oh, this guy's fucked. Suddenly, he gets his throat cut. Prostitute stands up and takes her place next to a man or woman, I suppose, in a crazy gold mask. Weird, creepy chanting music starts in the background. It's, like, very much this eyes wide shut type of shit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what the fuck, man? That was clearly Elisa Mattress, the finest mattress in the entire world. <laughs> not just Westeros, not just Marine, but anywhere. And you got blood all over it. They just, they had no respect for it whatsoever. Slip the dude's throat on the floor. Why you gotta do it in the bed? <laughs> Every, you know how many people would be blessed with that mattress, just feel blessed by it, by, by possessing it, and you've, you've stained it. 
Important to remember. Sad. It is sad. Lisa, one of our sponsors, wants you to remember that a quality night's sleep helps you recover from distractions faster. It prevents burnout. You make better decisions. Your memory improves. Overall, you're going to make fewer mistakes. And they spent 30 plus years and hundreds of hours of testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles, whether you're an unsullied or a prostitute or whatever. Their mission is to provide a better night's sleep for everybody. They've got this thing called the 110 program where they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell. They've donated 26,000 and counting. They are also working in conjunction with the Arbor Day Foundation, planting one tree for every mattress they sell and have committed to planting one million trees by 2025. Barrett, do you love your Lisa mattress? I sure do. Do you sleep like a baby angel on it? I sleep just, yeah, like a baby angel. Baby angel. (laughs) Baby angel. That's the way I sleep. And I also have a Lisa mattress. I love their pillows as well and their blankets. All of their products are fantastic. Sponsor of the show. Do yourself a favor. Make your bed situation a little better. Go to lisa.com slash dragon. Dragon. L-E-E-S-A dot com slash dragon. Dragon. Today. And you'll get $160 off your Lisa mattress. So, after this poor Unsullied gets his throat slit, we're back with Daenerys for the first time this season, and Barristan Selmy is explaining to her that this is the work of the Sons of the Harpy and is showing her this golden mask. I guess they left the mask behind, or... Yeah, they left it on the body. That's the, That was like their little calling card. Oh, shit. Just and like, these, this this mask, man... These are tight. Yeah, it's pretty freaking... It's like gladiator shit. Yeah, and it looks... You can't see any eyes behind there, and it's all... Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Like, gla- if, a, if the gladiator mask was mixed with one of the masks from the Eyes Wide Shut party, mm-hmm. you'd get this Sons of the Harpy mask. Right. And again... The harpy is a statue we saw get pulled down. That's true. Okay, they're upset. That was the their mommy. <laughs> <laughs> their what now? Their mommy. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, remember, Jorah Mormont is gone. Okay, he was banished. I I really feel on on the rewatch here that that's like they're kind of laying that on here. Things are getting fucked up because Jorah's not around. Well, in that his absence, that he was like the best advisor. He knew the most about the area. Like he would. He was just. Barristan has some good things to add, but he's kind of out of his element. He's a military he's been, guy. He, well, he's been in Westeros for his entire yes. life. Whereas, like Jorah had to deal with all these people. He was with the. He was with Illyrio. He was with the Dothraki. Like he's been around a little bit. He over had on the this, knowledge on the man. other side of the world. And so they're, I, yeah, they're just. It's definitely on the rewatch. It's way more noticeable that they clearly miss his expertise and his his breadth of knowledge. Up until you pointed it out. In the, I believe it was in the finale of season four. Yeah. Uh-huh. I had never put that together. I had never really... That was not one of the storylines or the pieces of information I gathered from season four and five. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm totally with you. And this just further solidified that. It was like, you have to keep that in mind. Right. Jorah is gone and it is it is it it matters a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Danny is not the same leader with Jorah not there. So her council, as it is, consists of Barish and Selmy, Grey Worm, so again, Barristan Selmy, a guy who's lived his whole life in Westeros, is very much the old guard. Grey Worm, an unsullied. Mm-hmm. Masande, a former slave. And some new dude named Masador, who we meet in this scene. We meet this guy. Looks like he was a former slave, if I had to guess, based on the attire. Uh, that, not a great crew. She really needed fucking Jorah. Um, and it turns out the unsullied who died's name was White Rat. White Rat, yes. We got Grey Worm. We got White Rat. What other unsullied names could you come up with? Uh, blue dog, purple snail, red ant. 
<laughs> Black Beetle. These are very simple. Yes. That's the point. Yeah. That's Dan- what. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Danny wants White Rat. Yellow Frog. What a shitty name. <laughs> white Rat? <laughs> white Rat? Gray Worm is somehow better than White Rat. And I thought he had the worst name possible. I don't know. Gray- I-, I think I'd rather be White Rat. Yeah, because somehow Gray Worm makes me think about like a like a little gray shriveled penis. <laughs> Well, yeah, just think of a gray worm. It's just like the most bland, like nothing That's little a, okay. creature thing. At like, least a white rat's got some personality. Yeah, right. At least a white <laughs> rat's like scurrying around eating cheese. <laughs> Sneaking no, through holes and shit. No, I'm just thinking of like Master Splinter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what's up, Luke? Ross, I know you're not a fan of like books interfering with the show, but I just Googled Unsullied Names real quick. And the second name that comes up is Hero, Second in Command. Now, how does a guy end up with the name Hero and someone ends up with Grey Worm? Oh, I don't know. Hmm. That's a bummer. Maybe he, unlike, remember when Danny gave Grey Worm the opportunity? She was like, hey, man, choose a new name. That's that true. one is maybe, shit. Yeah, maybe he jo- He was like, I'm a hero. <laughs> <laughs> Which I got to say, good on him. That's a fantastic choice. Yes, for dumping his previous name. Uh... <laughs> hero. Dude, we should, re- we should rename ourselves and one of us should be Hero. At least one of us. <laughs> I'll be martyr, you be hero. No, I'm just making jokes from other shows. Okay. Barristan and Mossador, this dude, they say uh, that if White Rat is buried publicly in the Temple of the Graces, that that's going to really piss off the Sons of the Harpy even further. And Danny's like, I know that. I want them to lash out. When snakes pop their heads out, it makes them easier to chop their heads off. So risky play here by Danny. She's kind of provoking further. Well, and it does seem like, yeah, she's putting... That just seems like she's putting her people, especially at the risk. Unsullied, like way more, even more at risk. Yeah. And I mean, listen, we're going to see a lot of this this season. Yeah. Questionable decision making from Danny. So strap on your <laughs> hat. <laughs> your Danny, your, your accepting hat. Next. Yeah, strap on that hat. Strap on that hat. <laughs> Miss Sunday, Miss Sunday visits Grey Worm as he and his men are gearing up in the in the gear room. And uh, why does she visit Grey Worm? Because she heard they found White Rat's body in a brothel, and she learned that more than one Unsullied has been known to visit Marine brothel, m- visit Marine's brothels. And she wants to know why an Unsullied would go to a brothel. The wheels are turning. Yeah, that's she, exactly what this is, though. She wants to know if Grey Worm can make the sex. Yes, that's all this is. Yeah. It's really funny when you put it in the right perspective, which I never had done before until this rewatch. <laughs> she's literally just like, Oh wait, hold up! That dude died in a brothel. Can he fuck me? Yeah. And then she goes and and she researches. That's it. She doesn't give a shit about White Rat or his <laughs> dead body. She just wants to know if Grey Worm can bone her. Yeah. That's all this scene yeah, is. Yeah. She's, she's she's uh, she's being sly here. Masande horny, Michael. <laughs> uh, Grey Worm's like, look, bitch. I don't know. I don't know why the hell he was in the brothel. I don't know. I gotta go. I'm busy. Don't you see me gearing up? And I don't she- think. I don't think Grey Worm catches on completely. He here. doesn't. He no. has no idea what's happening. Yeah. I'm with you. But he's just like, why are you asking me this question? Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. So He's not a brothel guy. She clearly hopes there can be a physical relationship between her and Grey Worm. And White Rat's death, if nothing else, gave her that. Yeah. That hope. I took it, you're taking it as he didn't understand, and I, I could see that too, but I kind of like wanted to play it up as like, he's playing hard to get. Okay, okay. <laughs> like he doesn't want to... Yeah. Anyway, whatever. But another, another, once again, another um, Game of Thrones and Arrested Development con- parallel and a connection. The the Bluth men and the Unsullied like to visit 
<laughs> prostitutes for the same reason. Dude. Dude. I, I, I know we've talked about it before. And there was a Twitter account called Arrested Westeros that perfectly ties together all of the parallels between Game of Thrones and Arrested Development, which if you haven't seen it, is one of the funniest television shows ever made. At least the first three seasons are the ones I will vouch for. And that is an unbelievable other one. <laughs> the Bluth men always pay prostitutes, but not for sex. It's for therapy, really, to yeah, cry yes. in their arms and be yeah. spooned by them. Yeah. The Unsullied, it turns out, exact same type of dudes. Fascinating stuff, yeah, Barrett. Yeah. Over at the wall, Jon Snow is training Ollie, uh, the bitch-ass, narc, treacherous douche is what I wrote <laughs> Every time I see Ollie, I'm upset by this man's it's, face. Yeah, well, and they really, you know, they butter him up as like this like kid that's being taken under the wings here. It it makes it worse. And it just makes, right, it makes it. And he's just whiny. He's like, ah, oh, my shield is too heavy. I can't get it up. And John just pounds him into the ground. And then uh, Gilly is sewing or some shit at a table like 15 feet away, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, why is she hanging out in the open? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what's happening here. But she's like, shouldn't you be training too to Sam? And Sam's like, bitch, I'm not a new recruit. Watch your mouth. I killed a White Walker and a Thin. And he's like, how many people have done that? I might be the first in history. Seriously, though, he really might be. Yeah, yeah. You got to give it to him. I mean, he's just, he's 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 David Wells out there. You know what I mean? The guy throws like a couple no-hitters and he's just like, I can drink 40 beers a day. Yeah. And like, fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. No, he knows he's going out on a legend. Yeah. It's, uh. He doesn't care. So anymore. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. And he's just I'm getting disrespected by his woman here. Yeah, and every every guy's been there at some point. Where it's like, give me a break! Don't you see all this shit I'm trying to do? Yeah, I'm kicking ass. It, you know what I just? You know what I just realized though? You know what else this little scene with Ollie is showing us? What? Last episode, Ollie killed his girl, and John's already and John like is, moved past and John that. John is like he's he is being a mentor and a friend and like a good guy to Ollie, and arguably. While doing the right thing and doing what you just described, he's also s taking out some of his frustration on Ollie Maybe having yeah, killed that, her right, by kind of being hard on him and beating him into the ground or whatever. True, true. So yeah. both, yeah. yeah. No, that's, that is that is a very good point. Um, Sam, while he does want more respect from Gilly, he is very worried about these upcoming elections for Lord Commander. Uh, it should be noted, while this is all kind of unfolding and being explained to us, Alistair is stomping around with Janos Slint, just sowing negativity everywhere <laughs> they go. That's what these two dudes do. They're just haters. It's kind of beautiful. I, I think Alistair Thorne might be my favorite villain on the show ever. Yeah. He's just a great hater. <laughs> He's just angry all the time for no real reason. Um... Anyway, so there is a Lord Commander election coming up. It's very important. Yes, big deal. Alistair, if he wins, he hates wildlings, all wildlings. And Gilly and little Sam are both wildlings, obviously. So Gilly wants to make sure that Sam protects them, that mm -hmm. they don't get sent away. And Sam is like, look, it's not even a sure thing that Alistair will get voted Lord Commander. There's some dude named Sir Dennis Malister who has commanded the Shadow Tower for 20 years, and that guy's running against Alistair, and people say he's a good man. How have we never heard of this dude? Yeah. 20 years? Yeah. He seems more eligible than anyone. 20 years of the Shadow Tower. The Shadow Tower sounds hardcore. <laughs> One of the most hardcore towers is what everybody it's says. It's got to be. Yeah. But yeah, where did this guy just like popped out of the woodwork. I'm sure he was more detailed in the books. I wish I could attest to that, <laughs> having having read them. Unfortunately, 
I just drank and smoked those memories away. Um, <laughs> Melisandre interrupts John training Ollie, and she says the king wants a word. And then Melisandre and John have their famous elevator ride up to the top of the wall together, which is extremely awkward and silent, just like a normal real life elevator ride, until John asks, Are you not cold, my lady? Because Melisandre is dressed like a common slut. <laughs> She's trying to get the pipe. And never is her response. Then she says, the Lord's fire lives within me, Jon Snow, which is somehow arousing. Yeah, yeah. It's it very, is. It, well, well, I mean, it just sounds like she's talking about sex. It, it, and she might be talking about both. Well, right, because she moves right into the... to the Grabs his the hand, next question. Yeah. puts it to her cheek, and says, are you a virgin? And it's weird, because if you were asked this question, you would probably be like a little taken aback. You'd be like, what the fuck, lady? Of course. Kind of a personal question. John is not at all. He just says no. And he he doesn't think it's a weird question, presumably because he's too busy thinking about and mourning Egret still. Yeah. He's very upset. Yeah. Uh, but her response to him saying no is good. <laughs> I can't even remember why this matters that he's not a virgin. I don't either. Oh, whatever. Fuck yeah. it. Uh, it was a funny elevator ride is the point. Anyway, so Melisandre introduces Jon Snow to Stannis. Stannis and Davos are standing on top of the wall where Jon is always looking out at like the tree line and shit as Luke was discussing earlier. Um, Jon Snow, her introduction of Jon Snow is, Your Grace, the Bastard of Winterfell. We've never yeah, seen him introduced like that. That didn't, yeah. Kind of harsh. Yeah. Kind of rude. Jon immediately takes a knee though, which is very questionable because... Here's essentially what my train of, train of thought here is. Does this is this like a sexist thing that he'll hit the knee immediately for Stannis, but Danny has to beg for a whole season and he still hasn't done it? What's the deal? Is it because Ned vouched for Stannis and he knows that? John Snow? Was, jo why won't John? John immediately bends the knee for Stannis, right? Yeah, yeah. And well, I guess, is it also partially because he hasn't fully uh, absorbed the lesson of Mance Raiders, we do not right. bend the knee? Yes, okay. yes. That's, okay. That's what it is. He ta he takes... He learns that later he, in this episode. Right. He takes that from Mance and I think so there carries, it it, carries it on. So no, it's not that John is sexist. It's that he hasn't learned the lesson that keeps him from bending the knee to Danny until literally later in this episode. Okay? When Mance dies, that lesson kind of solidifies within John. We do not bend the fucking knee. And he sees the consequence of having bent the knee to Stannis. I will say though that Jon Snow, like in this season, we talked about we talked at the end of season four. We talked about how he's kind of he's kind of graduated into this very major protagonist kind of hero character. Hero, hero. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but he's definitely you know he, he <laughs> there's no there there even though he still has lessons left to learn. Very little remnants of like the childlike emotion remain in him. He is now he's pretty much the adult Jon right, Snow we yes. know for the rest of the series. Yes, yeah. A few lessons here and there, but you're exactly right. Yeah. There's very little maturing and growth to be had for him at this point. He's he's a man. He's maybe. a man. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Stannis asks if Jon Snow knows who rules at Winterfell. Now he does. It's Roose Bolton, the traitor who plunged a dagger in Rob Stark's heart, as Stannis so unnecessarily puts it. And he kind of prods at John, like, don't you want to avenge him? And John says, yes, but he's a sworn brother of the Night's Watch now. And Davos is like, I've met a lot of your sworn brothers. Some of them love you. And John's like, oh, man, thanks, dude. That means a lot. That's big time. And Davos is like, <laughs> and some of them don't. And John's like, god damn. Just harsh. But 
Stannis tells John he's going back to Winterfell. He wants to put Roose Bolton's head on a spike. But if he's going to take the North, he's going to need more men. And John thinks he's talking about the Night's Watch. Stannis clarifies he is talking about the Wildlings. He says he'll pardon them if they fight for him, declare them citizens of the realm, he will, and give them land to live on. But Mance has to kneel before Stannis and swear his loyalty. What's with these kings and queens? It just feels like you could get what you need to accomplish if you wouldn't be so stuck to the kneeling thing. Yeah, it's it's uh, I think that's one of the you know they always talk about the wheel breaking the wheel. Yeah, like, this is one of those things that's just it is it's a just spoke so stupid. The, it's just a spoke on the wheel that they will not let go of. Yeah, like it's the it's it you know. Yeah. Well, what the whole point of this meeting is that Stannis now wants John to go convince Mance Raider to bend the knee. What happens if he doesn't? He burns. This episode, more than any, maybe, yet, is is very much an analysis of Stannis' character. Like, if you remember, the actor who played Stannis had complaints about the show because he just didn't get it. He didn't get it. He didn't buy into all of it. He was confused. He never knew the true purpose of a lot of his scenes. He didn't understand. And what a lot of writers and Game of Thrones enthusiasts have argued is that made him the most perfect casting choice of all time because mm-hmm. Stannis never really gets it, Yeah, never really knows why he's doing what he's doing, and is just kind of fucking throwing darts at the board. Uh, and this whole thing here just feels like the ultimate... I mean, when he's delivering lines like that, he needs to, you know, you need to convince Mance to bend the knee... Or he burns. He just has these very, like, he does not pull any punches. He has no filter. He just fucking says exactly what he means, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, John's like, how much time do I have to convince him to bend the knee as Stannis is, like, walking away because he's already gotten his point across? Stannis is like, until nightfall, and the sun drops (laughs) fast this time of year. Hurry, Jon Snow. Yes. You have very little time. (laughs) It's just... (laughs) I love Stannis. I miss him uh, a great deal, so I'm enjoying the rewatch. Then we're with Littlefinger and Sansa at Lord Royce's stronghold, I think is where we are here. We're in the Vale, and I yes. believe it to be Lord, Lord yeah. Royce's home. Yes, because that's, se- that's where they've sent Robin. He's going to go. They're with- unloading this little fucker. Right. Yeah, they've had it with him and his titty milk. <laughs> he's, he is now going to be shoved off onto Lord Royce where he's going to train, and we get to watch him train for a little bit oh, in the scene. Oh, boy, it's bad. Highly underrated bit of comedy here from the Game of Thrones writers and creators. Mm-hmm. And very underrated acting performance by this kid, I would argue. <laughs> Unless he is indeed the most uncoordinated child in the world. This was nerd at its peak here. This kid needs to be off playing computer games, not fighting, like training to be a knight or whatever. I Lord mean, Royce even remarks that he swings his sword like a girl with, with palsy, palsy, which is fucked up. Yeah, he looks... This guy is like a gangly little goof, though. So I, I would imagine this wasn't like super a, hard, a real stretch for him <laughs> okay. to, to not be good. I, it's this. just they did a good job of making it but hilarious. But yeah, yeah, I mean, he probably had to exaggerate a little bit and really play up the uh, the wimpiness, and, and he achieved it. <laughs> the noises he's making and shit when he's swinging the sword. Yeah. <laughs> he just... He's, he's really... He's just a turd out there. He is just a turd out there. That is so, exactly right. Question about this scene. If you didn't notice, Sansa's hair is very, very dark, like super dark, like black. Uh, I know. I note this. It's her, not really her, red anymore. Her hair color has 
has changed. Is that for protection, like to disguise her from being recognized as a as Santa Stark, who famously has very red hair as a ginger? It's such a yeah. It's such a very stark contrast. No yeah. pun intended. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that it has to be a conscious decision. And, I believe so, and I think that's probably right. It's to conceal the the red hair. Yeah, I don't think I ever realized that before. Yeah. Um, but it's it's legit black. Anyway. The point of the scene, as we said, is that they're dumping Lord Robin Aaron off on Lord Royce. That's all. That's it. Then we're on the road with Brienne and Pod. Brienne is fresh off her heavyweight championship bout with the Hound <laughs> and uh, is just staring longingly at Oathkeeper while she hits it with a whetstone or whatever, sharpening it. She's probably missing Jamie. And then she's like a total bitch to Pod again for she some reason. She's just taking it all out on Pod. Yeah. yeah, he's getting the whole brunt of the frustration from her. Just when I thought she'd like warmed to him. Mm-hmm. Pod's trying to get her to look for Sansa. Brienne is apparently so butthurt about losing Arya that she can't be nice anymore. She says, all I ever wanted was to fight for a lord I believed in. The good lords are dead and the rest are monsters. She's just complaining. Anyway, we hear some horses and a carriage passes. And oh my God, Sansa and Littlefinger in fucking side of the carriage. So close. And Brienne didn't even know it. Uh, very painful to see uh, yet another yeah. stark close encounter here. Yep. And uh, we have some conversation between Sansa and Littlefinger in there. She says, you told Lord Rice Royce we were going to the Fingers. Littlefinger's like, I did. Sansa's like, but we're heading west. And Littlefinger's like, we are. And he explains to Sansa that nobody can be trusted. And even if Lord Royce can, because he seems very noble, maybe his knights and ladies in his castle can't. You can never be too careful. And Sansa's like, well, you trust the carriage driver and shit? And Littlefinger says, no, but I do pay them well, and they've seen what I do to men who disappoint me. So this is kind of the continuation of Sansa's tutelage at Littlefinger's behalf, under Littlefinger, right? Uh, uh, she's continuing to learn. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Just teaching, him, teaching her even more, like, this is a big lesson. You can't trust anybody. You should always kind of have some uh, deflector information out there. Some red herrings to lead people in the wrong direction or whatever so you can get done what you need to get done. Yeah. Also, where are they going? I believe they're going to uh, to to um, Winterfell. She right? ends up with Ramsay because of this yeah. trip, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be a real bummer. <laughs> a real bummer. Uh, Littlefinger says they're going to a land so far from there that even Cersei Lannister can't get her hands on Sansa. And that's the only thing that made me question, like, wait, are they going to Winterfell? Because it's not... Well, that's that's super far north. Yeah, it's just a weird thing for... A weird way for him to put it. Yeah, yeah. Well, because it's, it's just... It's him, like, you know, tossing her off the scent. Like, or, or making trying to calm her down about yeah. where they're going. I'm taking you far away, is what okay. he's saying. And he does take her... For, if it's Winterfell, that is far away. Good point, yeah. In King's Landing, Cersei drinks wine as Loras Tyrell rambles behind her about how Tywin was a force to be reckoned with. He truly was. He keeps saying that force to be reckoned with line. Cersei's just generally disgusted by Loras and anything that comes out of his <laughs> mouth. She says, thank you so much for your kind words. She kind of forces it out. You can tell that's the line she has given herself to say to anyone who approaches her during the funeral procession. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's really just watching and focused on Marjorie, who's continued the flirtation, sedu- seducing, seduction of her son, King Tommen. And she's, again, this calls back to the opening of the episode. Yeah. Next, Cersei runs into Maester Pycelle, who expresses his condolences and says he never trusted Varys. And it's funny because Cersei completely fucking ignores him and keeps walking. It's as if he isn't even there. And I love seeing Pycelle get dumped on. Yeah, yeah. 
Is he even Maester anymore at this point? Hadn't she basically promoted? He's not Kyber? Grand Maester. Yeah. He's a Maester. He's also been robbed of his laboratory. Right. Yeah. And she is no longer acknowledging him as an as an existing human being. Yeah. So well, I guess what, he's he, probably a Maester on paper. Sure. But well, not in yeah. Reality. And at least this guy actually deserved the wrath of Cersei. Yeah. Uh, the person she does pay attention and continue walking towards is Lancel Lannister, cousin Lancel Lannister. Who, if you watched the preview leading into the episode, you are reminded had a sexual relationship with Cersei Lannister during Jaime's time in captivity. Lancel done grown up. Lancel beefed up. He, yeah, he filled we, out. We used to make fun of him for being for, a lanky twig. Like as lanky as you can be. Yeah. And completely devoid of any muscle <laughs> or tone. Yes. And he has beefed up. He has shaved his long hair. Yeah, yeah. And he has put on roughly 30 pounds in muscle. Yes. Um, which is intriguing. And he's also wearing a potato sack or some shit as clothing. His dad, Sir Kevin Lannister, approaches and apologizes. He says, I apologize for my son's appearance. They call themselves sparrows, bloody fanatics. Religion has its place, but at a certain point, they never would have come to the capital when Tywin was alive. Man, dude, that was like a throwaway line the first time through. Yes. And it that's huge here. That's huge. It is giving you the landscape for for the situation in the city. Well, and and it it also it calls back to the very to the opening scene with Cersei and Jamie when Jamie says like these people here outside <laughs> they're like, coming to tear us they apart. They are here to tear us apart because the most powerful man in the entire in the entire country is, is dead now. And he held it all together. The sparrows, yes. the sparrows, yeah. the whole religious fanatic scene that so, ri- that takes over right. the city. Like these fanatics, the extremist religious group, has come to because they know there's a power void. There's a they're, they're here to the fill the power vacuum. There's been a void created by the death of Tywin. Yes, that they know nobody else can r- really feel fill like he did. Right, and they're here to 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 take a shot at it. They're putting their hat in the yeah, ring. Yeah, exactly. Cersei, in regard to. Uh, Lancel Lannister says she's sure he'll grow out of it, whatever it is. And it's funny because sparrows are like the goth kids of Westeros. Like their parents are ashamed by them and they don't get it at all. (laughs) That is exactly what their characters embody. Um, Cersei goes on and drinks alone in a balcony, on a balcony, and and cousin Lancel comes and finds her. She says, your wounds from the Blackwater seem to have healed. He's got some scarring. Mm -hmm. And he says, it wasn't my wounds that needed healing. He... Lancel wants Cersei's forgiveness for leading her into the darkness. Uh, she says she doubts he led. He, she says I doubt you ever led anyone anywhere, which is just prime Cersei. He says he tempted her into their unnatural relations, and then he says, "quote And of course, there was the king, his boar hunt, his wine." Mm-hmm. And Cersei says, "I don't know what you're talking about." But this is a very concrete acknowledgement. That Lancel was, whether it was that they drugged Robert's wine or he was just overly attempting to get Robert drunk by continuing to remind him his wine was there, Lancel played a part in the death of Robert Baratheon at the behest of Cersei. Yep. And we kind of knew, I mean... We, we did, but this it is was the first time it's much like, implied, but yes, yeah, this is addressed. certainly the first on-screen acknowledgement that, that this is what happened. And her response is, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Lancel then says he found peace in the light of the seven. He's a different person now that the seven watch over all of them, ready to dole out peace. And then a very important part, or justice. 
He says, their world is at hand. And it's our first kind of look into the thought process of these people, the sparrows, the everything that goes down with the religious sect is... Uh, it's not just about peace. They're very much a people of doling out justice as well. Mm-hmm. It all sounds, this whole conversation is just real foreboding and weird and it's clearly going to matter somewhere down the road. Uh, and then next scene we see, still in King's Landing, Loris is with that blonde prostitute, the male prostitute that works for Littlefinger, who we've seen many times over the course of the last couple seasons. They're naked in bed talking about each other's birthmarks and how... One of them looks like Dorn and whatnot, just normal gay dude stuff. <laughs> and Marjorie walks in and is like, we're late for dinner as it is. And she comes in and like sits down on the bed and asks the prostitute's name. She's not grossed out by this. She's not, uh, she doesn't react in the way that most ladies would. Walking right? in on any type of sex. Your brother having homosexual sex with another man, she's unfazed by well, I mean, she's on, I mean, but even any sex, probably. any sex, really, yes. most people were like, oh, didn't mean to disturb you. I'm so she just comes in. Yeah. She's just like, what? Like, you know? Yeah. Totally. Get, whoever that is. Get out. Yeah. And uh, anyway, the prostitute's name is Olivar. And Marjorie is like all eyes on the prostitute as he walks away naked. She's just a bad little girl. <laughs> I mean, she's checking him out. She's like checking out his ass, his dick. She's just looking him up and down. He's butt naked in front of her brother who he's sleeping with so it's just she's very it was like this full scene basically like is like a behind the curtains view of the Tyrell children and who they really are Loris who is now getting more and more open and does not really care about being discovered anymore because she says perhaps you might consider being a little more discreet and he doesn't even see the point he says everyone knows anyway everyone in King's Landing knows everything about everyone but this behind the scenes look at Marjorie here the way she's not this proper prim and proper lady that she presents herself as in court, uh, that she's actually like this kind of dirty girl. We don't get it very often, but we got it here. And anyway, Marjorie says that basically, if nothing else, Loris shouldn't live his inten- leave his intended waiting. Apparently Cersei is waiting for him somewhere. And Loris laughs at that sentiment, arguing that Tywin Lannister being gone means there is literally no way Cersei marries him now which is bad news for Marjorie because it means that Cersei definitely won't be leaving for Highgarden, which means she'll be staying in King's Landing and be Marjorie's mother by law. Mm -hmm. Marjorie's like, ooh, these are problems. But she says, you know, what, what, okay, so what's her, do we know what her plan is here? What, what is her, perhaps, perhaps there's a, you know, I don't think we, we do yet. It hasn't been, I, sir, I can't remember what her kind of, yeah, it hasn't been painted for what her game plan is yet. Back in Pentos, Tyrion is still drinking. He appears to have switched to scotch or whiskey or something brown and stronger than wine. Uh, when Varys approaches him, he says, Eunuch, the spider, the master of whisperers. And I always thought it was master of whispers. It's whisperers. Mm. According to the subtitles on this okay. episode, master of whisperers. Okay. Maybe they just fucked up the subtitles. It's something we need to look into. Varys' reply is, imp, half-man. I feel like he could have kept going. Yeah, oh yeah. Why? Why didn't he? Meh. Tyrion hit him with three. Eunuch, the spider, the master of whispers, all we got back is imp, half-man. Could have gone right with the demon baby. Even it out. <laughs> Give us a third. Demon baby. Varys tells Tyrion there are ways, uh, faster ways to kill yourself than drinking. Tyrion's reply is, not for a coward. 
And uh, real shot at alcoholics there. Tyrion wants to know why Varys set him free. Varys explains that he did it for the Seven Kingdoms, that men of talent have a part to play in the war to come, and that's the name of the episode almost. Yeah. But not quite. Tyrion says he's done with Westeros, and Westeros is done with him. Varys says any fool with a bit of luck can find himself born into power, but earning it, that takes work. Tyrion's response is, I'm not well-suited for work. This is a very cool scene because it's essentially... Varys laying out for Tyrion his options. He's like, look, you were born into power before. Anybody can do that. Any moron can be born into a powerful family and then have influence. Now you're at the bottom of the barrel. You've essentially hit the reset button. Can you work your way into a position of power with me? Let's see if we can do this together, basically. Varys has done it before. He's worked from the bottom to the top or, you know, Mm -hmm. close to the top. Mm -hmm. He, now he's got to do it again, and he wants Tyrion to do it with him. Uh, Varys points out that Tyrion has his father's instincts for politics, but that he also has compassion. Uh, Tyrion finds that to be funny. He says he killed his lover with his bare hands and killed his own father with a crossbow. <laughs> but his point does stand. Varys is telling Tyrion why he believes in him. Yep. And that he does have some features of Tywin, the, the instinct for politics, but that he's compassionate, unlike his father. Uh, Tyrion eventually he asks Varys what is it that you want exactly he says peace prosperity a land where the powerful do not prey on the powerless Tyrion's response is where the castles are made of gingerbread and the moats are filled with blackberry wine the powered, powerful have always preyed on the powerless that's how they became powerful in the first place which is a interesting look at the entire dynamic um Another great line from Varys is, perhaps we've grown so used to horror, we assume there's no other way. That yeah. It all goes back to the breaking of the wheel thing. Right, right. And uh, that he wants Tyrion to help him find someone worthy to climb the steps and take the seat at the Iron Throne. Tyrion says, good luck finding him. Varys' response is, who said anything about him? You have a choice, my friend. You can stay here at Illyrio's palace and drink yourself to death, or you can ride with me to Marine." meet Daenerys Targaryen, and decide if the world is worth fighting for. Tyrion asks, can I drink myself to death on the road to Marine?" And then we bounce over to Marine. But that kind of lays out the plot for yeah. this season for Varys and Tyrion. Right. Try to get to Danny and Marine. Evaluate her as a prospective leader. Throw your hat, or throw all your power behind her. Back in Marine, Dario Naharis returns from his mission to Yunkai. This was a little confusing, so I had to like lay it out for myself, right? Dario riding back into Marine is him returning from Yunkai, which was a, that mission he went on. It was apparently a resounding su- success. There's a new government in place in Yunkai. It's made up of both freedmen and former, former slaveholders working together, and all matters of consequence will still be brought to Danny, as he puts it. Um, if you remember in the last season, Yunkai was the first full slave city that Danny freed, right? Yeah. Then when she bailed, it all kind of fell back into chaos. Right. So then she sent Dario and that group over there to fix it. Now they fixed it, allegedly. So his Dar Lorak is the guy that went with Dario. He's the Marinish Marinese. 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 Yeah. He's the Marinese dude, rich dude who went with him to Yunkai. But he also informs uh, Danny that the Yunkish, they want one concession. They want the fighting pits reopened. And Danny's pissed. These are the fighting pits where the slaves were forced to fight to the death. 
but his daughter is very clear. This would be free men fighting free men and says that if she would open the fighting pits, it would show the people of Marine and Yunkai that she respects their traditions. This also, again, we're just opening kind of what ends up being a big conflict for this entire season. Then Dario makes sweet, sweet love to Danny. And we get an ass shot of him post-coitus. He is also working with a wagon. Danny with the great sex hair, too. She really does have good sex hair. That <laughs> or I sex assume, wig. Whatever. I assume it's a wig. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's really the best. Suits her, though. And speaking of hair, Dario also has a fantastic head of hair. What a mop. What a mop And if is. you want to ensure that you have hair like Dario that gets you laid by the mother of dragons, our newest sponsor has your back. These tie-ins today are just unfucking believable uh, Our newest sponsor, Hims. It's a wellness brand for men. 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. And once you start noticing your hair is going bye-bye, it's probably too late. You want to be proactive about this whole situation. You don't want to wait till a bald spot pops up or wait for your hairline to start receding. There's no reason for you to do that. We've got medicine and science for these things. That's why you go to 4 slash dragon, F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash dragon and check out hymns today because thanks to science baldness can be optional hymns will connect you with real doctors and medical grade solutions the real doctors in your state they hit you with generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair they're all real prescriptions solutions backed by science and the best thing about hymns you're cutting out the waiting room the awkward doctor visits you're saving hours all you have to do is go to fourhymns.com slash dragon answer a few quick questions a doctor will review them and prescribe you the medication that you need, which will be shipped straight to your door so you don't even have to go to the pharmacy. It's brilliant. The amount of time you save and money you save is too good to pass up. So go to 4 slash dragon today. As a member of the Clam Fam, you get a, free tr- a trial month, not free, five bucks only. A trial month of hymns for $5 only right now while supplies last. See the website for full details. You're saving what would cost you hundreds and hundreds more if you went to the doctor or the pharmacy. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash dragon. So, Dario and his good hair. Try to get Danny to see from his perspective. The perspective of the common people, basically. And she's he's arguing for why she should open the fighting pits. Yes. What I forgot about Dario that he tells us here is that he's he he fought in the pits when he was 16. And that he says, he, he would argue, he's only the man he is today because of those fighting pits. Mm-hmm. He says, quote, I learned to fight like a Dothraki screamer, a Norvoshi priest, a Westerosi knight. What the fuck is a Norvoshi priest? I don't know. First time I've ever heard him but referenced. But they're, they're great fighters. Must be tight. Got a very specific style. Yeah, we know the Dothraki screamers. We know the Westerosi knights. Not familiar with the Norvoshi priests, but have to assume that they're pretty badass. He says, soon I was famous. 10,000 men and women screamed my name when I stepped into the pit. I made so much money for my master, he set me free when I died. I joined the Second Sons, and then I met you. That is the plot of Gladiator, <laughs> which is interesting, and is Dario Naharis' backstory. Hmm. Uh, Dario tells Danny, everyone is too afraid to speak the truth to her. Everyone but him. This is cool. So now he's stepping in a little bit, sure, yep. filling maybe some of that Jorah void. Yeah. Which, unfortunately for Jorah, he's also the guy sticking it to her. Yeah. All bad things for Jorah. Um, Dario tells her she needs to show strength because she's made thousands of enemies all across the world. And the second she shows any weakness, her enemies will strike. And he wants her to let her dragons out. 
but she says she doesn't want to have another child's bones dropped at her feet and nobody has seen Drogon in weeks. She says, I can't control them anymore. And Dario hits her with some very hard truths, which do cut both ways, as Stannis and Davos have uh, proven to us. He says, a dragon queen with no dragons is not a queen. Oh my God. <laughs> Danny visits Rhaegal and Viserion in the dungeon she has them chained up in. They snarl and snap at her. They shoot fire everywhere. They are very angry. They've also grown quite a bit. Quite a bit they from are, when we last saw them. Yeah, because they're kind of terrifying now. To oh, her. very scary. Even. Yeah, oh, she bails. Yeah. Yeah, she hasn't been around them as much. They've no. grown quite a bit. They're very fucking angry. So she bails. She's scared. It's this very humbling scene for Danny, I think. And yeah. it's yeah. as a reminder to us that they're still growing in there. Again, mm -hmm. remember, captivity for them is very bad. It's terrible. Yeah. So maybe they're not growing at the same speed as Drogon. But they are growing, and they're being fed. All right? We close this one out at the wall, where John visits Mance Raider to try and reason with him before his execution. But Mance already knows what John wants. He knows what Stannis wants, and he knows he's not going to give it to him. Uh, he says that he's John's argument is like, "Look, dude, you spent your work, your life's work, your whole life, bringing these ninety wildling clans together so that they could have a chance to make it south of the Wall by the time winter comes." He asks the question, "Isn't your survival, isn't their survival bigger than your pride?" Which is the exact same question Danny poses to him in the cave in season seven. This is the part we were talking about earlier, where this is the t this is where John learns the lesson that prevents him from bending the knee henceforth, basically. I'm still not totally grasping, though, why Mance won't. I'm kind of with you. <laughs> like, he explains all this and lays it all out, and at the end of his explanation, I was still kind of like, but yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, because here's the thing. When it's John with Daenerys... He he. What he what he's saying is that now nah, the North doesn't want to bend the knee to the South anymore. Right. We're we're gonna be our own shit. We want to we want to govern ourselves. Yeah. Like we'll support your claim for the South, but we don't want to be like under your thumb as well. Right. So we're not gonna kneel. We'll help you. We'll work together. We don't want to kneel. Then you go do your thing and leave us Whereas, alone. Whereas like Mance's whole thing is like he needs to get his people south of the Wall into Westeros. So so. Why does he give a shit? So why does... Yeah, like, he's going to have to... What were they going to do? Take over Westeros? His general point is basically... The only way he was able to get all of those people together was by, not, by not bending the knee. Yeah. And that it's kind of betraying every one of them and everything, all the work that went into it, if he bends the knee. That's kind okay. of the only point he has, yeah. right? yeah. Uh, he says, pride, fuck my pride. This isn't about that. John says, then bend the knee and save your people. Mance wants to know how they're going to execute him. He says, hanging, beheading. John's like, actually, they're going to burn you alive. And Mance gets this look of fear on his face. He's like, look, I'll be honest with you. I don't want to die. The, and I don't want that to be how they remember me, scorched and screaming. The man, the man's face when he when Dude. John tells him that they're gonna burn him alive is one of the best like fa pieces of facial acting I've ever seen. I, yeah. It's really, really incredible because he's like, oh, He's like, like you, God you, damn it. Yeah, that he is. He's not psyched about not this. Not psyched about that. Yeah. But still, he says, if you can't understand why I won't enlist my people in a foreigner's war, there's no point in explaining. John says, I think you're making a terrible mistake. Mance's response is, the freedom to make my own mistakes was all I ever wanted. Yeah. I guess that's the his attempt at wrapping up the and, Mance Raider story. And maybe story. Mance is saying that maybe what he's doing is making a mistake. But I, But again, like my qualm there is that 
he doesn't want his people joining in this foreign this foreigners war as he said uh-huh. even though they were basically going to go to war with those same foreigners by right. coming south I, of the wall so it's like well now you're you're you, we're still offering you the same thing except for instead of you conquering trying to conquer us and possibly losing you don't even have to worry about that you just have to fight with yeah. us I'm kind of taking it as, look, if they want to go fight for him, they can make that decision. Yeah. I'm not bending the knee and and, okay. and ensuring that it happens. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so they, John and Mance, they don't see eye to eye still, but Mance has marched out that night. He's given the opportunity to bend the knee by Stannis again in exchange for mercy. Stannis says, kneel and live. Mance refuses. He says, this was my home for many years. Remember, Mance Raider was a member of the Knights... Watch. Right. He was right. at Castle Black. I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. Mance's last words. They take him, they strap him to the burning stake. Masande comes out and gives a little speech. She says, We all must choose man or woman, young or old, bored or peasant. Our choices are the same. We choose light or we choose darkness. We choose good or we choose evil. We choose the true God or the false. She takes the torch. Free folk, there's only one true king, and his name is Stannis. Here stands your king of lies. Behold the fate of those who choose the darkness. She puts the torch to the pier, and Mance starts to burn up front. He looks scared. He's shaking. He's shivering. He's terrified as the flames grow, and we see it all in his facial acting, as Barrett pointed out. This is a long, drawn-out little scene here. Mm -hmm. He's trying to restrain himself for the sake of maintaining the respect of his people. He's gasping. At one point, we get this shot of John. It looks like he can't watch, and he walks off. We don't know where he's going. Everyone looks on. The flames continue to rise higher. Mance starts to cough, and then he's crying out. He's breaking here. Yeah. Closing his eyes, crying out more, and then just then, an arrow strikes him clean in the heart. Everyone looks over. Hey, it was Jon Snow with a bone arrow. Uh, roll credits. I'll say this in conclusion of this episode at the beginning of season five, that for all the hype and legend and folklore surrounding Mance, I think he was a big letdown in the series um, as a character. Now, great actor, the guy that played him. I don't believe there's anything he could have done better. I really do not. They just didn't give Mance enough run on the show to really build up the man that he was. You know what I mean? Uh, I agree with you. I agree with you. It just overall kind of ended up being this like, I expected more for this like king beyond the wall who united 100,000 people, these 90 different clans, everything yeah. that went into it. Also, having read the books, obviously there's even more Mance buildup, and it was just kind of a bummer. But it's not a general complaint, and again, I don't think the actor is anywhere near at fault. I think he crushed it. It just was the way the show unfolded. They can't do everything justice. Right. So anyway, we've started it. Season 5. We will be back next Monday to talk about the second episode of Season 5, titled The House of Black and White, written again by Benioff and Weiss, and directed again by Michael Slovis. Slovis is going back to back. Slove, man. Can you believe it? Another way you can support our show, check out manoutfitters.com. You can also use the code SUMAI, invoke SUMAI at checkout. There you'll get 15% off if you spend $150 or more. Free shipping included always. Follow our podcast on Instagram at Oysters, Clams, Cockles and on Twitter at Clams and Cockles. We're also on Facebook somewhere. Nobody cares. Every every day through those social media outlets, we pump out content related to the latest episodes we've seen, to Game of Thrones in general, funny Game of Thrones shit. Uh, we try to keep it fun and entertaining in there, so follow us on social media. 
as we continue to do the night's rewatch. I'm Ross Bolin. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at WRBolin. Also, as I mentioned several times, if you are a Westworld fan, subscribe to Freeze All Motor Functions. If you're looking for another comedy podcast to maybe fill some more time in your day, the Ross Bolin Podcast is my other show where we talk about things like stuff to Wikipedia when you're high and badass pirates you haven't heard of and Animal of the Week and Houston rap songs and other random shit. Barrett, where can the wonderful, loving members of the Clam Fam follow you on the social medias? Uh, all of them. All of them. I am at Barrett Dudley. Um, you know, check it out. See what you see. <laughs> <laughs> Hotline number is 866-43-CLAMS. If you would, if you've enjoyed the night's rewatch so far, we are now we are more than four seasons deep. We're into season five. We've only got a couple more left. We really do. We're this is crazy. This is the last season before be- we started the podcast. Before we started the yeah yeah. So we'll actually be rewatching for realsies yeah season six yeah. and doing our second podcast for those seasons yes for six and seven. It's crazy shit. Very if you've crazy. enjoyed it. Please go on iTunes and write as a quick review. A five-star rating goes a long way, but if you take the 30 extra seconds to write as a review, it means the world to us. We, we put a lot into the show. We spend a lot of time on our Sundays. Do this for us. Do us this one favor. Please? Thank you. We'll be back next Monday. Grandexshop.com slash OCC for Oysters, Clams, and Cockles themed t-shirts, Game of Thrones themed t-shirts, perhaps soon. Yeah, if, you, if you're listening promised. to this on like Tuesday or Wednesday, chances are that T-shirt is up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe even Monday afternoon. You should go go to the link and just check, just in case. Just check, just check. We're out.